we're in a series called Becoming Wise, so we're going to be studying in Proverbs, but it's going to take us a little bit to get to Proverbs, because today we're going to actually start in 1 Kings. But I'm going to start with a question for you that hopefully you will ask yourself. And this question is this, what do you ask God for? What do you ask God for? Do you ask God for big things? Do you ask God for small things? Do you ask God for, for um, you know, health? Do you ask God for money? Do you ask God for your keys when you can't find them? Like, what is it that you pray to God for and that you ask God for? And is there any biblical precedence on what we should be asking God for specifically? And of course there is. So we're going to start with the story of Solomon when Solomon asked God for wisdom. And maybe you're going to see it in a way that you haven't before. But here's the thing. That's a story we learn when we're really young, right? When we're young in the faith. You hear that story or you just hear the narrative that, yeah, Solomon asked for wisdom and he became a very wise guy. But I don't know the last time you read that story. It had been a long time for me. So we're going to start there. We're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. There's Bibles in your seats if you want them. We'll have the words on the screen. We're also going to be reading from the New Living Translation. That's what we study from. So it begins like this. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5. It says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Do you remember that it was in a dream? Oftentimes we don't remember that, but it started off in a dream. Now let me give you some context for this. He was actually in Gibeon, which is seven miles away from Jerusalem. It's a high point. It is where David did the sacrifices, and it is where Solomon continues to do sacrifices to God. This is at the beginning of of Solomon's, did I say Saul? I meant Solomon, if I said Saul. This is at the beginning of Solomon's reign. He's young, and he just did a huge sacrifice. And that night, God comes to him in a dream. And I think God decided he was going to test Solomon. So he says, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it all to you. Listen, that would be awesome if God showed up and asked you that, wouldn't it? I mean, we don't expect that, but that would be awesome. God shows up and goes, hey, what would you like? And you're like, let's see, you created everything a lot, right? I would like it if anyone showed up in front of me and asked me, what can I give you? That would feel great to me. If you came up to me after church today (laughs) and said, what can I give you? I've got a list. There's things that the church needs. Listen, so God shows up and says, what do you want? I'm happy to give it all to you. And Solomon replies like this. He said, listen, God, you showed great and, fa- great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. Can we take a moment? Right? When we talk about David, David gets a really good, like the narrative from David from everyone else is pretty good. But when you read the story, can we admit there's some problems? Right? But, but why is it that when everyone talks about David, they're like, David was amazing. And you're like, yeah, you know, he had some like lust issues and some jealousy issues. And he may have sent a guy to, you know, die. And everyone's like, yeah, but he was a man after God's own heart. And you're like, how does that work? How is it that you can be that much of a little bit of a shady character? And yet still everyone, generations afterwards, still are claiming lineage from David. Why is that? Let me tell you why I think it is. I think it's because um, we have a tendency to think that God is really, really concerned about our behavior and that when we're not behaving correctly, God doesn't think we're faithful to him, right? Because that's, that's our measure of whether somebody's a good person or not. But I think God understands something that we might not. God understands people's hearts in a way. And he also understands the human condition, which is often making mistakes, 
So he is able to say, God is able to say that David is a man after my own heart, even though he made tons of mistakes, because A, there is forgiveness. I'm not going to worry about those mistakes. And B, even when he was making those mistakes, he was following after me. His heart was given over to me and was seeking me, because God's more interested in our heart than our behavior. Right? But what we do is we manage everything around our behavior. In fact, we even think that we are becoming unfaithful. We actually sin and think we've been separated from God because we sin, even though our hearts really still want to be with God. How horrible is it to feel that we've been separated with God and God's like, no, you haven't. That was just stupid. That was a dumb idea. Don't do that again. And we're like, God doesn't love us anymore. And God's like, no, no. I never said that. In fact, I know your heart. I know how much you want to be with me, how faithful you are in your heart. But yeah, that was, a, that was a stupid move. Don't do that again. But we're so embarrassed and so ashamed that we're willing to cut off that relationship, assuming that God is the one who doesn't want us. No, we're the ones who are embarrassed. By the way, this is why we need wisdom, right? This is why we need wisdom. And so this is what happens. And, and, and he says this. He says, this great and faithful, and you have continued to show this great and faithful love to David. You showed it to David today by giving him a son, me, to sit on his throne. So he's reminding God of the Davidic covenant that God had made with his father. And in fact, he's reminding him that, God, you wanted me in this seat. Thank you. And then he says, now, Lord my God, you've made me king instead of my father. And then he says something really smart. He says, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. So here's the thing. He's 20 years old, and he's just been given a kingdom to run. That's a little daunting, I would think. But I don't know if you know a lot of young people, but there are young people who know what they don't know, and there are young people who don't know what they don't know. You'll never feel as bad as a parent as when your 13-year-old looks at you like you're an idiot, and you think, maybe he's right. They look at you like, mm, you don't know anything, Dad. I know all of this. And you're like, well, I've been living a while. I think I may know some stuff. And they're like, you don't know anything, Dad. They, uh, Solomon was not that guy. Solomon was a guy who knew what he didn't know. And in fact, literally what he said is, because this is the translation, it's an idiom for leadership back in those ancient times. He says, I don't know how to come and I don't know how to go. Like, I've got no clue. I don't know when I'm supposed to talk, when I'm not supposed to talk. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I really, honestly don't have a clue of how this is supposed to work. And then he says, and God, I'm here in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and so numerous, they can't be counted, which is hyperbole. It wasn't that big a nation. Like the nation of Israel was not the biggest nation around. But the reason why he was saying this is he's saying, Lord, do you understand? I feel overwhelmed. He's actually humbling himself, recognizing that this is a big responsibility. He's 20 years old. But do you remember how long he served? He reigned for almost 40 years, 39 years with Solomon's reign. It's because he started with humility. And then he makes the ask, right? Then he makes the ask. And he says, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Now, I want to break this down a little bit because if you understand the word wisdom wasn't there. The reason why he's asking for this, the literal translation of what he's asking for is, I would like, Lord, I would like you to give me a listening heart and a hearing heart. That's the literal translation of what he's saying. What he's asking for is that wisdom come from God 
Not be housed in him, but come from God and he learns how to listen to it. And then also have a hearing heart so that he can listen, he can hear from his people and make good decisions about what is good and what is bad as he hears from his people for what they need. It's a huge ask and it's brilliant because he doesn't say, Lord, make me smart. Lord, make me the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't say that. He says, make sure that I, my heart will always listen to what you say and make sure that my ears will always hear what the people around me need. That's an amazing ask. And you know what? The Lord was pleased with it. In 1 Kings 3.10, it says the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this wisdom. And because God was pleased, he promised some more things. And listen, some of these things that that God promises Solomon are actually things that come from living this kind of a life, right? Some of them are just the natural outpouring of seeking righteousness and seeking wisdom. But some were better and bigger than that. So he says this, I'll give you what you asked for. And I will give you a why, oh, hang on, I jumped. uh, So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and not have asked for a long life or wealth or death to your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had. This is fascinating for a moment. Let's sit here. God says, yeah, I like what you're asking for. But here's the thing. I'm not gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you a lot of it. I'm not going to give you just a little bit. I'm not going to trickle my grace down to you. I'm going to give you an overwhelming amount of this. This reminds me of Isaiah 43, 9 and 10, where it says, behold, I'm doing something new. I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm putting rivers in the desert. Nobody needs rivers in a desert, right? All you need is a trickle. All you need is a stream to survive. And God says, that's all you want? Actually, I'm going to give you rivers because that's what I need. Because when God gives, he rarely holds back. You understand that? When God gives, he rarely holds back. But this is the problem. We treat, I don't know, like we, we do. We're like, Lord, God, make today a good day. And he's like, all right, I got lots of blessings. I'm ready. He's like holding them back. He's like, okay, you let me know what you need. I'm gonna drop them down. And we go, could you help me find my car keys? And God's like, what? Yeah, yeah, they're right there. And you're like, thank you, Lord. My day is complete. And you're like, and God's like, What? You know, none of this? And we're like, I don't want to be arrogant and ask for so much. I don't want, I don't, you know, I don't want to abuse you, Lord. And God's like, I, you know, I've got storehouses in heaven that are filled with blessings for you. You want wisdom? Bring it. Like, I got truckfuls of wisdom, right? You want grace? I got so much grace. But we have a tendency to think that God's just going to trickle down his grace and his blessing into our lives. I don't know why we think that. I mean, does God grace trickle or flow in your life? God has blessed you amazingly. You're sitting here. You weren't worried about breakfast this morning. You're blessed, right? You're looking at, you got clothes and they're clean. You're blessed. You've got got a place to go and a way to get there. You're blessed. You got people who care about you. You're blessed. This is not a trickling of God's blessing. This is an overwhelming outpouring of God's blessing. God is good and will do good things. Right, But we have a tendency to be afraid to ask, and I don't know why, because when God gives, he rarely holds back. And then he says this, and also, by the way, I'm going to give you not just what you asked for. I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. Riches and fame, I got those. In fact, no other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. That's how good you're going to be. You want to be a wise king? You're going to be the king. 
You're going to be the guy. There's going to be, there's going to be no king that's, that's around in the next 40 years that has anything compared to you. In fact, Solomon, you will be the gold standard of kings. You will be the guy. You'll have riches. You'll have fame. You'll have everything that you need. You will be the one that everyone compares themselves to. So I got a question for you today. Are you the gold standard for anything? Are you the gold standard for something in life? Are you the gold standard for wisdom amongst your sphere of influence? Are you the gold standard for love and compassion in your family? Are we the gold standards? Is Crosswalk Church the gold standard for anything in our community? And I think this is a good question because if this is how God wants to bless, and this is the blessings that we can hold on to, we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to be the gold standard of? Could we be the gold standard of compassion? Could we be the gold standard of love and loving well? Could we, be the, could we be the church that people go, listen, I don't know what happens over there, but if you're feeling bad about yourself, you gotta go there because you're gonna meet the grace of God in that place. I mean, is that the kind of church that we're gonna be? What are we gonna be the gold standard of in our community? What are we gonna be known for? What is God gonna bless us with so that we are those people and we are that church? And then he says this, and if you follow my... Follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did. I'll give you a long life too. How about that? And by the way, we've heard this in Proverbs before, that people who seek righteousness, people who live with wisdom, they live a long life. It makes their bones strong, said Proverbs earlier on in the text. Then Solomon wakes up and he realizes it's a dream. But that dream, it defined his life. That quest for knowledge by the way, is why we even can read Proverbs because he didn't let it go from the whole time. He wanted to aggregate all that wisdom and he wanted to give it to us so that we could live in that overwhelming wisdom of God as well. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't even have this book that we're studying. So I ask again, what do you ask God for? What do you ask God for? Proverbs 3.13 begins like this. It says, joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. And by the way, this is the result of asking for wisdom. You find it. We've made this argument before. God has enough in store for you. Not a little bit of wisdom, but an overwhelming amount of wisdom. Do you have a listening and hearing heart? It's funny. I, uh, I worked at Loma Linda Academy, and there's a, there's a, a PE instructor there who is, um, what's the, what's the, like ripped. He's like shredded. He's like 60 years old, and he's just, like, I mean, much like this. Um, you guys were looking at me like, what's he doing? I don't understand. I don't even have the muscles to make the example for what I was, I was trying to explain to you. Um, and, and so I was talking to him one time. I was like, hey, man, like, how do, you, how do you do this? Like, how is that? And he's like, you can do it. And I was like, I don't think so. I can't. And he's like, no, you can do it, man. All the information's out there. Scientifically, we have enough information. You can look like, like this, but taller. And I was like... Yeah, and I was like getting excited. I was like, great. And he's like, in fact, I'll download a bunch of stuff. We'll print it out for you. You can have it. I'm like, okay, then what? And he's like, yeah, then you do it. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not. I'm not going to do it. And he's like, no, all the wisdom of everybody who's ever wanted to be healthy is there for you. You can use it. You can find it. But then you got to do it. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. It's there for the taking when you ask for it. For wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. They're better than gold? Yeah. You see, the thing is, you know, we sometimes aim at money, right? We think, oh, if I had money, just a little bit more money, my life would be better. Don't aim at money. Aim at wisdom. And there's a lot that comes after that. 
In fact, one of the things is this. We have a tendency to have lust and desires in our heart that we want to go after. But when we ask for wisdom, God begins to direct those lusts and desires for the things that you have. Listen, I'm not saying money's bad. In fact, we need it. Thank God for it. And thank God for you who are really great at it. But you got to be wise in, your, in your, the undertaking of acquiring wealth or acquiring anything. And see, see, the argument that's being made here is that wisdom is more profitable than silver. Silver you can lose, wisdom you hold on to. Her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies, it says. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Do you chase money? Don't do that. In fact, the author seems to be saying, why settle for money when there's so much more to be had? You think asking to make sure your bills are paid The author seems to be saying, why settle for money when there is so much more? Which is funny because money is like this big mystery to a lot of us, right? But I have this, I have this friend, I have this friend who said, he runs a hedge fund, uh, like $500 million. And um, you see how I said that? Like, (laughs) I don't know how many zeros are behind that, just to be clear. And he said, yeah, once I figured out how money worked, like it wasn't a thing anymore. (laughs) What does that mean? How did, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's I mean, what, is it, what does it measure? What is the thing? In fact, Seth Godin, I was listening to a podcast, and Seth Godin is a marketing guru, and he said at the beginning of his career, he was really chasing a lot of money. He was chasing a lot of those things, and then all of a sudden, he realized, like, this is not getting me anywhere. While he was covered and he had everything he needed, he realized that once your basic needs have been taken care of, the rest is ego. It's just a measuring rod to figure out if we're worthy or not. And he said, that's not what money's for. So what he began to do is he began to really focus in on doing good work and the wisdom of, of, of you know, excellence and that sort of thing. And he said, the ironic part is that I've never had to worry about money since then because I no longer became a thing. He's like, that's a fool's errand. Scripture says, wisdom is worth more than all of that. And then it continues on in verse 16. It says, she offers you long life with her right hand and riches and, and riches and honor in her left. And this is perhaps a connection to the Egyptian god Ma'at who has long life in one hand and who has wisdom in the other hand. Um, one of the things is this Proverbs, often Proverbs will mention other things because it brings in other cultures because the wisdom is not just for the children of Israel. It's for everyone. So this is perhaps an allusion to that god. And then it says, remember, every time we talk about wisdom, it's in the female form. It says, she will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Good decisions lead to good decisions that lead to a life that is free from regret, from hopelessness, and from emptiness. She will guide you down delightful paths. You see, here's the problem with regret. You have to look back. And when you look back, it's hard to go forward, right? When you're all constantly looking back and going, man, I wish I hadn't. I should have. I got to go fix that. When you do that, Unfortunately, it's hard to continue to move forward. If you live in wisdom, she'll guide you down delightful paths. It doesn't say she'll make you go back and fix what you broke. But the hard part is that good decisions are not always fun. They're not always easy. They're not always simple. But they are life-giving. Hard decisions, especially the ones that we make when they're good decisions, create in us not only peace, but they also create in us joy. Because we get to live the joy of an unfettered life, a life that is not bound by the burdens of what we've done before, but it gets to continually look ahead to what God has for us in the next step and the next step because that's been taken care of. 
And then there's this allusion to Genesis 3.24 where it says, wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. But it's not just an allusion to Genesis 3.24. It's also an allusion to the Gilgamesh epic, which is an ancient text that also helped people understand wisdom. And so again, the author is being inclusive in the way that he's using language to say this wisdom is not just for the children of Israel, it's for everyone. And then he goes on to say, listen, by wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, he created the heavens. And by acknowledging this, he's saying, listen, whoever abandons wisdom actually runs against the very structure of how the earth was made. And then he goes even further from talking about creation. He says, um, says, by his knowledge, the deep fountains of the earth burst forth in allusion to Noah and to the flood story. And the dew settles beneath the night sky. God over creation, sustaining. He says, listen, in wisdom, God actually set this earth in motion. You know that this has a particular, a particular meaning for those of us who claim Sabbath is something important. Because in wisdom, God took a day and said, maybe don't consume so much. Maybe don't go crazy with everything. Maybe take a moment and take a break. Maybe step back from the earth because not only does the earth need it, you need it as well. This concept of the Sabbath was wisdom put in at creation. And, 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 but, you know, the problem is we like things right now, right? I mean, I remember when 7-Eleven, which was supposed to be open from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., went 24 hours. Do you remember that? Man, some of us who are old. And I was like, yes. I was like, 11, yes. I can get a big gulp at 2 in the morning. I was, I was 11. I was never going to get a big old batoon in the morning. Who's letting that kid out? But I was excited about it because now I could get it whenever I wanted. See, God was saying, listen, that's not the way to live. Wisdom, as he set the world in motion, said you need a day to just stop. And because of our unfettered consumerism that doesn't stop 24-7, we're seeing the earth being destroyed again and again and again, over and over at a quicker and quicker pace. God, that was not the way God has planned it. God planted that we should let it rest, jubilee Sabbaths, jubilee years, that everything returns. And then he says this, my child, don't lose sight of common sense and discernment. Hang on to them, intimate again when he says child. And this kind of marks a new section where he's turning a little bit. Just hang on to common sense, hang on to wisdom, hang on to discernment, for they will refresh your soul. They're like jewels on a necklace. Like these are really good things. Wisdom will actually preserve your life. Listen, for this reason, the righteous can be freed from the anxiety that plague the wicked. And he makes it plain. He says, they keep you safe on your way and your feet will not stumble. Wisdom is what guides your path. What do you do if you don't have it? What happens if you don't innately have a propensity towards wisdom? And that's some of us, right? Some of us are really good at this kind of naturally, and some of us aren't. So for those of us who don't innately have wisdom, I'm going to give you three simple, easy things to do. The first one is this. Like Solomon did, you pray for it. You ask for it. And that's super simple. I get that, right? This is, but we should start where Solomon started. Ask for it. And then, secondly, you've got to learn to listen to wisdom, to learn to listen for wisdom. Because there is wisdom around. God has placed wisdom in your life through people, through, through instruction, whether it's scripture or, or, or someone in your life. God has placed wisdom in your life, but too often we've given our wisdom away to something else that doesn't feel right. Do you know that when you're hearing something and you go, man, this doesn't feel right, that that is the Holy Spirit working wisdom into you and you should listen to it? 
My wife and I just watched that miniseries Chernobyl about Chernobyl. And um, it, was, it was fascinating because you've got scientists who are saying, this seems like it's really bad. You've got this huge fire shooting up and smoke. It's radioactive. It's killing everything around it. And they're looking at it going, this doesn't seem right. And someone from the state says, it's fine. And they're looking at him like, I don't know. And they're like, no, it's fine. Don't worry. We know. They gave their wisdom away, and then we all know what happened after that. Don't give your wisdom away. If you think something's not right, maybe begin to listen to it. If you think you should go in a direction because you feel like you're being led, maybe you should listen to that. So, but you have, to, you have to understand what the voice of wisdom sounds like in your life. And then once you hear it and you recognize it, then you've got to make it actionable. You've got to listen to it. You ask for it. You listen for it. And then you listen to it. Make it actionable in your life. And then, Proverbs says this, then you can go to bed without fear. You'll lie down and you'll sleep soundly. And this is a great promise. Wisdom gives us a different kind of life. Not worried about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to be okay because you took care of today in the way that you needed to. And then it says you need not be afraid of sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. It was 6 a.m. I'm at my office. I get a frantic call from my wife. Hey, there's police everywhere. There's SWAT team everywhere. I need you to come home. An interesting thing happened in my head. Because we didn't know what was going on with the cops. We thought they were coming to our house because they were everywhere. And, and in my head, I went through the portfolio of things that might put me in prison. Because I'm like, why are there a SWAT at my house? It was, it was short. It, it didn't exist, which was the beauty of this thought process. I was like, whoa, they're not there for me. Because I've lived with a modicum of wisdom in my life, and I've asked God again and again for wisdom. So I, went, I drove home as quick as I could, not afraid that they were coming to my house, and they weren't. They were coming to the house right next to us, which was full of marijuana, it had been a grow house, and like we didn't know. In fact, the policeman was like, how come you didn't know this was a grow house? I was like, because I don't, I don't do the marijuana. <laughs> Wisdom. <laughs> but it was interesting because I did. I went flip, 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 flip. I'm good. I better go home. And then I went home. I was going to go home anyway. Just to be clear. But luckily, God had granted me enough wisdom to live my life that I wasn't worried about sudden disaster or the destruction that comes upon the wicked. I'm not wicked. And, and here's the beauty of it in the end, and I love the way this wraps up this text. It says, for the Lord is your security. He'll keep your foot from being caught in the trap. What this means is that, and, and Solomon asked for this, and I think we need to think about this. Solomon didn't ask that he be the smartest guy in the room. He asked that he would listen to God's wisdom. Same way, the Lord is our security. It's not because we're so smart. It's because we know how to listen to God and listen to the wisdom that he has for us. So I'll ask you one more time, what are you praying for? What are you asking for from God? 
Because he's the one who wants to guide your paths. He's the one who wants to make the way straight. He's the one who wants to be your security. And it all comes from him and his willingness, his overwhelming willingness to open up the gates of heaven and pour wisdom into your life, pour blessing into your life, pour more of everything that you never knew you needed into your life. That's what he loves to do. Don't be somebody who's afraid to ask. Just make sure you're asking for the right things. And here's the beauty. The Holy Spirit will guide that ask as well. He will guide you into what you need to be asking for from God. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I just want to thank you for your wisdom. Can we have more of it? Can you lay it on thick? Can you pour it down from heaven into our lives, into our hearts, and give us those listening hearts, give us those hearing hearts, so we can not only gain the wisdom that you have for us, but share the wisdom that you've given to all of us in community, Lord. Thank you for being a God who's willing to do that. Lord, we'll ask. We'll make a big ask right now. We want to be your gold standard for love. We want to be your gold standard for compassion. We want to be your gold standard for your expression of who you are into the world through people. That's what Crosswalk wants to be, Lord. So we'll ask for all of it. Pour it down on us. Teach us how to do that. And Lord, as we sing this final song, just accept our praises because you're so amazing that we can't stop singing about who you are. In your name I pray, amen.